0: What does it mean to be the people of God? When someone encounters God, what changes? How do they look different than before? And what does it look like for these people, this new community, to be filled with and called by the Holy Spirit to be a blessing to the world? Good morning. Morning. Welcome to Browncroft. So great to have you here with us this morning as well as online. So glad that you are joining us as well. As we continue our series on Acts this morning, a new community is the section that we're in right now. And this morning, I'm going to be talking about a life-changing relationship with Jesus. That's where we're going this morning. Mike already set it up in the announcement. I didn't even ask him to set it up, but he set it up. It's beautiful. I love it when uh, the ball is placed on the tee like that for you. And that's what we're going to be discovering this morning, what that truly means for us. Uh, Before I do that, though, I, I love... Listening to people's stories. That's one of my favorite things, to hear the stories of how God has worked in people's lives. Some of us here this morning have pretty dramatic stories of life change in Jesus right? I mean, we were one way, and holy cow, God did a 180 on our heart. He just slapped us upside the head, and our life is dramatically different. Anybody here this morning like that? Anybody? Oh, I see the hands. Yeah, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. Those are great stories. That's amazing. Some of us are more like gradual. God just gradually takes us into a relationship with Him, and you know, before you know it, one day you wake up and you're like, wow, I think I'm following Jesus now. And, and it just kind of continues like that. Some of us here um, started following Jesus when we were maybe four or five years old. We don't remember a time when we weren't following Jesus. For me, I grew up in a Christian house, but I didn't decide to really follow Jesus. My life wasn't really changed by him until after college. Each of us has a different story, and this isn't elevating one way to come to Jesus over another. Each one of us has a beautiful story of God working in each, in each of our lives in a unique way. Here's the thing. We're going to be looking at one of the most dramatic stories this morning from the Bible of life change in Jesus, hoping to take a lesson from this, kind of decide from here how we can apply this to our life. And it's a guy who you might know, his name is Saul. Saul eventually becomes, spoiler alert, the Apostle Paul. Okay, So, uh, sorry if if you aren't a churchy person, but Saul is Paul. Now, if you grow up around the church, you might have this idea that they're almost two distinct people because they have two distinct names, and you might think Saul, bad, Paul, good, right? But that's not really the full story here. It's like all of our lives, his life is a lot more complex than what we might think initially. And I think in order to get an understanding of of this, we have to take a look at his life a little bit more seriously together. So Saul actually means prayed for. I don't know how many of you knew that. It means prayed for. So a lot of theologians they can kind of assume maybe Paul's parents had a problem conceiving. And they were praying for him over and over and over again. And finally, they were blessed with this child. And and they named him Saul. We prayed for you. And they cherished Saul. And Saul grew up in this town called Tarsus. Uh, We got a map of it up here. Modern day Tarsus. It it looks like that. It's right in uh, Turkey part of the Roman Empire, and uh, so he was a Jewish, of Jewish faith, living in Roman territory, and Tarsus was known for raising goats. Interesting fact. So, there's a good chance that, that Saul's dad actually perhaps worked in the leather field, in the field of, of leather, making tents is what Saul was known for later. But there's a good chance that Saul's dad like, lived that out, and Saul learned apprenticed under him. Maybe watching his dad's calloused hands you know, work leather day after day after day. He learned the value of hard work from an early age. And somewhere along the line, Saul was probably looked at and gone, this kid's smart. <laughs> Someone probably took note of it and said, I can't believe this kid can think the way he does. And his parents probably were like, yeah, this is the kid we prayed for. And they may have kind of gotten some money together, and they sent him to the best rabbinical school you could go to at the time. Gamaliel was the, was the rabbi's name. He was a grandson of a man named Hillel. Like one of the best rabbis of all time, the most renowned rabbis ever. And Paul learns under this man. And he becomes a Pharisee. Now, for some of us we look at that term Pharisee and it has negative connotations, but the Pharisees were concerned with purity. Purity of their faith and individual purity as well. And so Paul would have taken very careful assessment of his life all the time, like, am I pure? Am I? Is, is this? Is this community of faith pure? And and he didn't want it to be, uh, kind of defiled by the Gentiles that were surrounding the area. So Paul's living this life; he's developing this sense of of kind of piety if you will. And he's in Jerusalem one day, and there is this new religion that is spreading throughout, kind of Jerusalem, and it's it's gaining traction. And this guy named Stephen gets up, and he starts preaching. And he, at the end, says, this man named Jesus is the Messiah. This is revolutionary. Not just revolutionary, it's blasphemous to Paul. And so he has to stomp this out. And people pick up stones and say, we're going to kill Stephen. And they lay their coats at the feet of Saul. Now, Saul is this driven man, hardworking, really committed to God. And he goes all in. As a matter of fact, he goes so far all in that this is where we're going to find ourselves today. Let's actually look at Acts 9. We're going to start in verses 1 and 2. It says this, Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. That's how committed Saul was to following what he believed was God's will for his life. So, this word, this phrase in there, he's breathing out murderous threats. It's an interesting phrase. It's actually not breathing out, it's breathing interpret it breathing out because that makes more sense, but it's actually breathing. It's like the very life that he gets is murderous threats. It's, he's taking in murderous threats and he's breathing out murderous threats. That's his way of operating in the world. I'm an 80s kid, so I kind of envision it like Darth Vader, right? Like he has a Darth Vader mask on. It's like murderous threats, murderous that's that's paul or saul at this point that's 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 how he's living in the world he's that committed to stomping out christianity so committed to stomping out christianity that he's going all the way to this booming city called damascus let's show you where that is on this map okay so you go to jerusalem you got to go all the way up there into damascus okay how far is that That's 150 miles approximately, that journey. That would be like from walking from here to Toronto. That's how committed he is to stomping out Christianity, or the way, as it's called at that point. All of these people who are, are, say, Jesus is the Messiah. So now imagine going all that way. 150 miles, walking from here to Toronto. At first, you're probably full of adrenaline, right? Oh, I'm going to get him. I'm going to get him. And then somewhere in, along the way, you're like, okay, i got to start plotting. He's got people with him. How are we going to round up all of these people? And, and he's still breathing in murderous threats, breathing out murderous threats, breathing in murderous threats, breathing out murderous threats. He's committed to stomping this out because he thinks he's doing the right thing. It's not that he thinks he's doing something evil. He thinks he's actually following God by doing this. Murderous threats in, murderous threats out. Saul himself later on, about 30 years later, gives gives a peek into this section of his life. In the book of Philippians, he talks about his own character during this time of his life. He says this, if someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh i have more circumcised on the eighth day like i came from a very religious family uh, of the people of israel of the tribe of benjamin my lineage is perfect Um, a hebrew of hebrews i'm the poster child for what it means to follow god Um, in regard to the law of pharisee i had my doctorate in theology as for zeal persecuting the church i would kill to do the right thing. As for righteousness based on the law, faultless. Holy cow. We should look at that and go, like, I don't think he's lying here. He's saying, he's saying this was my resume. I follow, you know the Ten Commandments? Yeah, did them, followed them. Yeah, you know all the other like little sub-laws in there? Leviticus, you ever try to read through that and follow all of those laws? Yeah, did it all of it. And he says that he's followed it all, but yet there's something wrong. Because you can follow all of that and still have your heart in the wrong place. And Paul came face to face with that reality in his life. I know what it's like to work hard too. Um, To gain it, to look to gain acceptance in all sorts of different areas. And a lot of my life was spent working hard. I, I you know, and, and that's recognized in society. In business, when I was in that world, you know, I was 17 and people were going, we should train this guy in management. Come on, let's, let's train you. You know, because this guy works hard. Um, academics, you know, I was, kind of worked hard. In academics. I could, I could make a name for myself there, but really, where, where it really hit home for me was sports. I just, I love sports, and sports was a place for me, more than anything else, of gaining acceptance. That was where I got a lot of acceptance and community from, was playing sports. But, now, you're going to have a tough time believing this, but I was never the biggest guy on my team. All right? Never. I've never played on a team where I was the biggest guy on the team. But, I could do one thing more than anybody else. I determined this from pretty early on. I could hustle. Oh, man, I could hustle. (laughs) All my heroes were hustlers. You know, Pete Rose in baseball was one of my heroes. Charlie Hustle, you know, head first. Like that was, so playing baseball, I went into college and I played baseball into college. And that's what I did. I hustled. I hustled, hustled, hustled to make the team. And then when I was on the team, I hustled, hustled, hustled that was my way of life was hustling hustling though after a while it's a great thing but after a while it taxes you i know i've been there and not just in sports in life as well and paul was there too we'll pick it up in verse 3 it says this as he neared damascus on his journey suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I'm Jesus whom you you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. He has this, boom, encounter with Jesus and he realizes, oh, man, I got this thing way wrong. <laughs> Not just a little wrong, like way wrong. And here's, here's the first point. Life, life change starts with a wake-up call. Certainly for Paul in, in his case, but for us too. Life change starts with a wake-up call because Paul finds out here that what Jesus says in Matthew 25, whatever you do to the least of these, you do to me, he finds out that that's actually true. And he, having grown up, you know, around the scriptures, he had to memorize what we would call the Old Testament, huge portions of the Old Testament. He knew this was God showing up. He would have remembered stories like Moses at the burning bush. Like Elijah being tucked in the cleft of the rock and God meeting him in that space. Like uh, Jacob being wrestling with God and getting a new name. He knew, I don't know, this is a new experience, but this is God. He says, who are you, Lord? And the answer is Jesus. That had to totally upend him in his way of, of thinking. You know, we all, at one point in our lives, need a wake-up call. Jesus' call isn't just to assent up here, but it's to say, no, I'm going to follow you. Lord, one of the most controversial statements in the early church was, Jesus is Lord. That was one of the most controversial statements, because people would say, Caesar is Lord, but the church said, Jesus is lord jesus calls the shots not me not caesar not not anybody else it's jesus calls the shots um i remember having wake-up calls in my life one of them was when i was on a break uh, from college and i was back home and during this particular break i was you know doing my normal hang out with friends thing i think it was over christmas And so it wasn't, it was pretty chill. And one night, I was about ready to fall asleep. You know that stage that you're at when you're like almost asleep, but not quite asleep, and you're right in that zone? I was in that zone, and all of a sudden, on my door, there's... (laughs) Like that. My door handle is rattling like this. (laughs) The mirror on the back of my door, boom, falls off. You want to talk freaked out? I was freaked out. So I'm, I'm laying in bed and I'm like, oh man, I get up. Uh, okay, so I, was a, I, I grew up a hunter, okay? So, so I had a shotgun in my room. So, so I, just a preface here because it's part of the story. But anyway, so, so, so I, I get the shotgun and I'm standing there behind the bed like this. And I'm, I'm waiting because I'm sure someone is going to come busting through the door. I'm absolutely positive this is going to happen. And I got the gun pointed at the door. And I'm waiting. It felt like, I don't know, three days. It was probably like 10 minutes or so. And I'm like, okay, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? What am I going to do? I don't hear anybody going up the stairs. I don't hear anybody going down the stairs. My, I'm upstairs. My parents' bedroom is downstairs. So I'm like, okay, all right like took every ounce of courage in me, but I'm like, bolt down the stairs with my gun, go into my dad, mom and dad's room. I'm like, I wake my dad up. I'm like, dad, get your gun. He's like, whoa. <laughs> and I'm like, <laughs> and, we, and we were going around the house, like a couple of SWAT agents or something like that, like you know, going, like looking in closets, looking, you know, making sure windows aren't, bright. I said, somebody is in the house. Somebody's in the house. And we're going everywhere looking, and there's no sign of anything anywhere no break-in no anything else and um my dad said um i don't think you need your gun i think you need your bible and it freaked me out i was freaked out because i don't know i mean i understand if you're skeptical i get it because i was skeptical too But there's no earthly explanation of what happened in that moment. I can't explain it. The only thing I can think of at this point is God was trying to get my attention. At this point, looking back at it now, there's no other explanation that I can think of other than God was saying, John, pay attention. The, The first verse that came into my mind was a verse where Jesus says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. I didn't know it was that violent, but it it happened. (laughs) He was knocking. But I had a choice to make. And you can ignore a wake-up call. I can speak from experience. Let's see how Paul responds, or Saul, in this moment. Verse 7 to 9. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. Second point is this. Life requires a decision, or life change requires a decision. You got to make a decision. One way or the other, when, when Jesus shows up, when you get that wake-up call, ultimately it ends up with a decision one way or the other. Will you listen? Won't you listen? Amen. Will you listen? Won't you listen? That's the biggest choice that you have to make in that moment when Jesus shows up. Now, why do I say that choice? Well, if you read the first, the first chunk there that we read it said, Jesus gives him a command. He says, go to Damascus and wait there. Now, Saul could have told the companions he was traveling with, I don't want anything to do with this guy. Let's go back to Jerusalem. You know, but, but he was humbled. He came face to face with Jesus, and he said, there's no other way, there's no other response I got than obedience in this moment. This, I got to obey him. And so they do. They take him to to Damascus into the city where he sits for 3 days. Now imagine what's going through his mind during three, those 3 days. Sitting in darkness. Humbled by the experience. What have I built my life on? Like I've killed people for this. Like would I ever be would I be accepted anywhere? Like he's praying, he's fasting, it's a sign of repentance that he's that he's demonstrating here but he has a decision you know i had this point in my life as well where i had to come face to face with i have a decision to make like i said it was after i graduated college but um I just kept on reading the Bible. For some reason, it was almost like I was drawn into something. I don't know if you guys have had this experience or not. Some of you maybe have. It's it's like I was drawn into something beyond myself. I, I can't explain it. I didn't have a reason for, like, reading the Bible or, like, listening to Christian music. But I just started doing it. And it was just like this just... I was caught up in learning more about Jesus. And what I discovered was the things I was reading as I was looking at Jesus, I was like, oh, my goodness. He's so much different than I thought he was. I, I could follow Jesus. And one night, I was, I was laying there in my bed. It was like 1 o'clock in the morning. I guess this, I could also call this my bedtime talk or something like that but um, it was like one o'clock in the morning and I was reading Matthew the end of Matthew is about Jesus being crucified and I didn't hear a voice audibly but it was like it and it was it was John that was for you and man oh that hit me like a ton of bricks and I knew I had to make a decision and I tossed, and I turned, and I wanted anything, I wanted to do anything but make that decision that night. I'm, I was awake for at least an hour deciding, should I do this or shouldn't I? And eventually, I, I was like, I got to. I got to follow Jesus. In the most, I knew the right words to say, but they weren't the, the quote-unquote right words to say. It, it was this, in, in my experience, it was simply, Jesus, I'm sorry from now on, I'll do whatever you want me to do. That was, that was what I said to him. And the tears started flowing, and I started laughing and crying at the same time. And I was like, this is so weird. I don't even know what's going on inside of me right now. And then I went to look in the bathroom mirror because I was like, I'm sure I look totally different. I, I have to like look. To, maybe I've grown more hair. I don't know what I've done. But I have to look different now. I just was convinced of it something happened inside of me that i could not i couldn't deny jesus did something when i surrendered to him and that's what he wants from us is that kind of surrender we go on with the rest of the story verse 10. it's kind of this cool little twist in the story in Damascus, there was a disciple named ananias the Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias, yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on State Street and ask him for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he sees a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem, and he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name in case you didn't know lord he's darth vader Um, (laughs) but the lord said to ananias go Something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. Amazing. Here's what happens. Life change results in a new love. Because once you've encountered, once you've experienced that kind of life change, it, it affects the way you deal with other people. It affects the way you view God. Ananias was in big-time doubt here, (laughs) understandably so. But imagine the way Saul must have responded to Ananias after getting back his sight, a totally new love. Saul puts it in this way in terms of his own experience. I'm going to go back to Philippians again, and we're just going to look at that passage. He talks about his life after this experience. He says this, "...but wherever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ." What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things. I consider them garbage. You can circle that word. All that good stuff, garbage that I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection, to participate in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and somehow attaining to the resurrection of the dead. It's a total transformation of life. It's a totally different way of living. Not simply about knowing, but experiencing the power of God in our lives. A love that surpasses all understanding. That is what Paul is talking about in this passage right here. To know Christ. That word know is about intimacy, about connection. It's about knowing and experiencing Jesus in a fresh way because that's where life is truly found. When I was studying this passage, something else hit me, though. It's this. It's something interesting. Ananias actually needed a new life-changing experience with Jesus, too. Ananias needed a wake-up call, too, and he got one. He was somebody who was already following Jesus, but yet Jesus wanted to lead him into a new area. He wanted to Ananias to realize that nobody is beyond the ability of God to change. Ananias's fear was keeping him back, but God chose to use him in this particular circumstance as well. And in using him for him to grow even deeper in love with God and in love with others as well. You see, We talk sometimes about life change as this one-time experience, but it's not. It is that, but it's not exclusively that. That's the beginning of the journey. But as you walk with Jesus, that is a continual process to lean into in our lives. We're always being invited into a new sense of life change with Jesus that starts with a wake-up call. Sometimes that wake-up call is exhaustion. Sometimes that wake-up call is an area of sin in our lives that we go, oh my goodness, I see this and I, oh, it's horrible. Sometimes it's suffering that we're walking through. But we get these wake-up calls and they're invitations to make a decision to join Jesus at a deeper level in our lives. And then those decisions propel us into a deeper love of Jesus and love of people around us. And so the circle goes and so the circle goes until the love of God is more and more and more a part of our lives. That is what it means to truly follow Jesus. That at the end of our lives, we're more and more loving. We're more and more like Jesus than we've ever been before. That's the ultimate goal. The ultimate goal isn't to just gain more knowledge for knowledge's sake or just to do good things for, to do good things. It's to be a loving person transformed into the image of Jesus. I wish I had time to go through all the conversions in my life with you all. <laughs> I could tell story after story of all these little places of conversion that God had to do things in my life. Like, my first one was like my, the call on my life and, and like, what am I going to do for a job? I remember having this, this goal money-wise I had in my life. Like when I reach this goal, I'm going to money-wise per year, I'm going to do this and this and this. That's what I had in my mind. Uh, I have not reached that goal yet. So um, it's okay. It's, I've gotten better things. Jesus has provided for me in ways I couldn't even describe to you all. It's better. What I have is better, but I, I didn't see it at the time. I needed to learn to love people that were different than me oh my lord oh i could tell you stories and some of them where i had arguments with god a lot of sometimes smack just you know just letting god have it i needed to address core fears in my life that were holding me back in my relationships i needed to call them out and, and address them and i needed to learn how to forgive even if life was painful these are just some of the things The conversion moments in my life that have that God's led me through but here's my guess God's working in your life too I'm not guessing that just out of nowhere but because I know I've seen this plenty of times God is at work he's at work in your life as well and I want to take just a moment just to sit in that okay this morning because sometimes we get so busy with the noise that we forget that God's at work. And we forget to pay attention to him at work. So I'm going to actually ask uh, the, the elders. I've got some elders who are going to come down front here. Also some staff members who are going to come down front. I'm going to ask you to come down front right now. Um, but for the rest of us, I just want to close our eyes. I don't want to like, just no distractions. best we can. And we're just going to sit in silence and ask God to be speaking to us in these moments. I know in a group like this, there's there's probably people who, or I'm, I'm actually sure in a group like this, there's people who have not yet decided to follow Jesus with your life. You've never made that first choice. And maybe, just maybe, this morning is that time for you to do that that wake-up call maybe you're feeling that wake-up call right now I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that but before I even do that I I don't want to neglect people who have already made that decision and I want us just to sit in the fact that God is at work he's working so we don't have to (laughs) so much of our life is spent striving In trying to prove ourselves that sometimes we need to sit in the fact that god is at work and more than anything else what we need to do is hear the voice of god maybe you're going through a wake-up call this morning season of suffering or a season where you see your own sin or like i said exhaustion we bring that before god right now are there any moves he's asking you to make? Any, any ways forward? If there is, let's just take a moment and just surrender to Jesus in this moment and his will for us. And if you're here this morning and you haven't made that decision yet, that first step on the journey, you can do it this morning. By simply, whether it's praying these exact words or something like it Jesus, I'm so sorry. I've sinned against you. Thank you for dying for me. I accept your sacrifice and I choose not to live for myself anymore but to live for you in faith not because of anything I've done but because of everything you've done I pray this in your name so here's my invitation for all of us this morning if God's working in your life in one way or another maybe you've decided to follow Jesus I would invite you let someone down here be an ananias in your life just pray over you maybe you have something that's really difficult going on in your life right now that you realize i've hit a wall we all need prayer let someone pray for you this is how we grow in our relationship with jesus and in community with each other so that's how we're going to end I'm going to invite you, if you want, come down to the front, receive prayer. And if if you're in a space where you say, you know what, that's amazing, I don't need that right now, cool, great. Just going to ask you to leave in silence and uh, create a space in here where people can be prayed over. Thank you so much. I'm excited to see how God continues to shape us more and more like Jesus together. Amen.